26. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that, John, <coughs> that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to drink water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Lauren. Good morning. My name is Matt, and I am uh, one of the pastors here, and it is really, really great to be with you. I brought this up um, not as an object lesson, but to clarify something. Um, 
this is not a sign of righteousness to wear it, not a sign of fear to not wear it. Um, we are in a journey, in a process of learning what it looks like for us to, to love one another in the midst of unexpected, unknown circumstances. So whether you're at home, whether you're here, whether you're wearing a mask, whether you're not wearing a mask, know that here you are loved. And we are going to love one another. We're going to do this as well as anyone who knows Jesus and claims him can do. That's our desire towards one another. So this is, this is you know, kind of ground zero, level one, day one of all of us being here. Many of us masked and some of, some of us masked and many of us not masked. And, and it feels a little bit like a brand new celebration. Like it's the last Sunday of Easter and it does feel like Easter again in a particular kind of way. It also feels weird. Like now I know if you're frowning at me, you know, before I wasn't sure. Like now your faces tell the truth. So uh, no frowning, please. Um, let's do this well. We can love each other well, right? Um, that's my little opening pastoral invitation to be these kinds of people. Well, we are um, in a year-long series walking through the Bible together, and we've been reading the scriptures since the beginning of September, which was, you know, like six years ago in COVID days. And, um, and we've now arrived into the New Testament and into the Gospels, and we're spending time in these seven weeks of the Gospels looking at the things that Jesus said. Now, Jesus says a lot more than seven things, let me just say, but we're going to be focusing on seven particular things. And this week, we're focusing on a unique interaction that he has with a woman at the well, a very well-known passage. Um, and so we're going to kind of just jump straight on in. Uh, this morning, we're going to see four things, which is why you got to jump in right away. First, we're going to see that the gospel is free, that the gospel is comprehensive, that the gospel is personal, and that the gospel sends us. The gospel is free, comprehensive, personal, and that it sends us. Now, when I say the gospel, the gospel is good news. It's literally what it means in the Bible, right? It's euangelion, good news. It's a declaration of the work of Christ accomplished for his people. And so it, it does stuff, and it also is something. And so this morning, we're going to begin here by looking at that the fact that the gospel is free, now, basically, uh, John chapter 4 starts with uh, a social crisis at this well. This is a pretty controversial description here. First of all, you have a Jew who's talking to a Samaritan. And it's pretty clear, right? Jews don't associate with Samaritan, which we just read it in verse 6. We don't do this together. There's a superiority of the Jews towards the Samaritans. The Samaritans separated themselves out from the Jews. They're like, listen... We don't associate. Jews didn't actually even travel through Samaria. It's not just that a Jew is now talking to a Samaritan. It's that a man is talking to a woman. Like, like men in those days did not talk to women in public, certainly not alone in some well distant from the, from the town. This is kind of unthinkable. It's a social crisis in the making. And last thing, we have, we have a rabbi in Jesus, well-respected. People are following him. He has a dozen disciples and more than that. So he's, he's respected, well-known. He's a teacher. And here he finds himself talking with a woman of really pretty bad reputation, of someone who morally is, well, questionable or less. One of the reasons why we know that this is true is that it says that she came to draw water at midday. This is the heat of the day, and this woman comes alone to draw water. That never happens. If you're in the, in the, in the Mideast during this time, um, you come at the morning with all the women. They come together. They draw together, and they travel back together. And here this woman comes by herself. The only reason that would be the case, every commentator agrees, is that she has lived a life 
She has a reputation. She has made decisions that have ostracized her. She is an outcast. She's a social, not okay to be with woman. She sits there or stands there with Jesus. With all the decisions she's made and he goes right for. I mean, he doesn't even blink. He reaches right through all the walls, the walls of gender, the walls of race, of religion, the, the barriers of morality, and he just, without any consideration, just respectfully engages this woman in a lengthy conversation about theology, about her entire life. It's unthinkable. Certainly not something she anticipated. She's wildly surprised. You can see here in verse 9, it said, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Why is she so taken aback? Well, she's taken aback because life then was not that dissimilar. Well, it is somewhat dissimilar from how it is today. And that is that when you are someone who is respectable, someone of high esteem, someone who has honor, you know it. And everything works on that hierarchy. You're mature, you're religious. There's an echelon. And those who are on top, of course, are blessed by God, right? Those are the moral religious people. They're blessed by God. And, and the others, of course, are not so much. And, of course, you're blessed by God because, well, you, you earned it. You're righteous. You, you, you're one of the good ones. So, of course, God is going to bless you. But if you're at the bottom like this woman is in every category, you're never engaged by people from the higher levels of the echelon unless it's to let you know that you don't belong in any levels of echelon. So she's surprised. She's shocked. But Jesus doesn't speak down to her. Contrary to her expectation, which is why she's so surprised. He's gracious with her. And she's amazed. He's, she seems almost delighted in the conversation. She's a talker. Maybe most people don't talk to her. What Jesus teaches us here is that salvation is a gift of free grace. That the good news of the gospel is free Jesus even says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, he literally calls it a gift. It's a gift, not a payment. This is not a salary that she deserves or is owed. The salvation from Jesus that he offers is a gift to be received. It's not a payment to be earned, which means that the only way that you can disqualify yourself from a gift is by being too good to take it, too good to receive it. The only thing that can keep you from this is pride. It's actually what you see with Jesus interacting with the, uh, the rich young ruler. He, he can't bring himself to humble himself. It's what we see last chapter with Nicodemus. Jesus interacts with Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is so proud, he can't seem to understand that there is a gift for him to simply receive. Don't you see, Jesus is the very embodiment of the gospel in this way. He's basically operating outside of the world's hierarchy. He's ignoring race. He's ignoring 
religion, morality, class. And that's what the gospel does in us because it's free. Jesus meets us where we are and then he shatters our categories. This woman doesn't know what to do with him. And yet he's unshaken. So who can belong to Jesus? Anyone. Are you wondering today if you can belong to Jesus? She can belong to Jesus. You see, the gospel is, is free. In the world, we find ourselves continuing to have to be, well, championed by other groups to believe that we can matter, that we can belong. If you agree with this position, if you're a part of this club or this community, this party or this particular um, economic viewpoint, then, then you get to be with us and not against us. If you agree with these policies, then you're with us, not against us. And the gospel does not work that way. The gospel says, come in. You're welcome. Jesus reaches out. He says, come as you are. Not you're in if. And, and friends, loved ones, if you know you're hearing the gospel. You know you're sharing the gospel when you're sharing it as something that is free and by grace alone. Not muddied with any, well, as soon as you. The gospel is free. All is grace. The gospel isn't just free, it's also comprehensive. We see here in verse 13 and 14, Jesus says to her, he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give, give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Water is Life. It was true then. I mean, it's true then. She's having to come in the middle of the day amidst all the pressure because without water, you don't live. That's true then. It's true now. As many of you know, I was in the military. I went to survival school. One of the things that they pounded into our heads is if you want to survive, especially if you've crashed somewhere, water, 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 water. Like, don't worry about shelter. Don't even worry about food. You find water. You have three days. And if it's really hot, you have two days. I mean, water is so pivotal, and, and this is not something for the children to try at home, but they told us that it, if it's that, that pivotal, that you can, if you don't have any water source, you can drink your own urine three times. That's how important water is. Do, do you see how important it is? Again, we're good, right, with water, but just saying it, that's how important it is. How thirsty would you have to be? Water is life. Without it, we would not survive. And living water, Jesus is saying, is what he offers. Jesus is saying, what I have is as important to you spiritually as water is to you physically. You really can't go a day without getting headaches, two days without becoming lethargic, and three days without dying. And Jesus is saying, what I have to give you, what you need from me is as important spiritually as water is to your body. Implications. That Jesus is saying, if you don't get what I have to offer, you are dead. Which is why Psalm 42, 
The psalmist writes, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Our souls are made to be satisfied in God. Our souls are made to be quenched by God. That's, that's how we're made. Just like you're made for and with mostly water, we're made for him. The gospel's comprehensive. And the woman said to him, sir, give me some of that. She, she hears this offer. It seems beautiful and powerful and exciting and, and interesting, life-changing. And she says what anyone would give me some of that. Yes, that I may not be thirsty and, and maybe I don't have to come to this well too. Who knows what kind of water this is. And Jesus responds to her. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman said, I have no husband. And listen, listen to Jesus. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that you have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Just the comment on the dignity moment there as she's trying to hide. What you said is true. She says, where's, where's, where's this living water? And Jesus starts talking about her sex life. So it's a normal conversation by the well. It doesn't seem to flow, does it? It seems like, wait, wait, hold on. Please give me some water. Go get your husband. But, but Jesus is not just changing the subject. He's not going in a fundamentally different direction. He knows something about her and he is going after her. He says, I'm not changing the subject. He says, let me tell you what loving water is like. It's what you've been trying to get, O woman of Samaria, with all the men you have been with. That, that thirst, that, that longing, that ache, that's what you've been after. And you still don't have it. He's trying to help her understand living water is wonderful. It's, it's this beautiful spiritual imagery. He's saying, let me, let me tell you what it looks like. It looks like something that you already know, but haven't been able to be satisfied by yet. Not by all this series of disappointing relationships. And this is true, right? If, if, when we're sharing our faith, when you're, when you're receiving or being reminded of your faith, it's, there's good news and there's, there's bad news. The gospel has good news and it has bad news in it. And they're both essential. The gospel is free. But the gospel also points to the reality that we find ourselves choosing other waters, digging other wells. seeking living water from the wrong false cisterns. If you want living water, you can't go after other wells as well. That's what Jesus is bringing to her. She's saying, give me this water. And he says, great, let's get rid of the other wells. Let's get rid of the other waters. Go get your husband. Which is why in Jeremiah, talking to the people of God in chapter 2, verse 13, God says this to his people. 
He says, for my people, this is the Lord speaking. He says, for my people have committed two evils. Listen, they have forsaken me. What is he? The fountain of living waters. And what they've done is they've hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can never, that can, that can hold no water. Jesus is saying, you've been pouring water, this living water that you're trying to go after, this living water, trying to draw it out of these broken cisterns, and it's not working. Jesus is drawing her to see, and he's frankly drawing each one of us to see this morning. Because you're looking to quench your thirst, Jesus is saying, in all the wrong places, in all kinds of other places, and actually not finding that, what you're looking for, you're spiritually thirsty for what you have not recognized or for what you are not willing to go and connect to. Instead, you're going after sex or money or pleasure or power. You're driven to these things and really you're thirsty for me and you're not recognizing it. Jesus looks at her and he just declares, I have what you're looking for. He says, I have what you're looking for, but you must come to me. You must surrender the other wells. He says, this is a spring of water that's welling up to eternal life. The scope of this is amazing. It's transcendent. I'm offering you the fountain of life within you, but you have to come to me. And this is not just intellectual assent, right? This is not just agreeing. She, she believes in God, right? She even talks about when Messiah comes, not sure what it's going to look like, not sure what he's going to be, but when he comes, so she, this is a woman who believes in God. She's re religious in some ways and also irreligious in many ways, but she has some sense of God. So this is not some intellectualist assent. This is not some theological proposition of, okay, cool. God, Jesus has some living water that I'm supposed to get. Sure, good, I'm a living water person. No, this is, this is something deep because we can believe in God and have our professional life be our water, right? We can, we can believe in God and, and pursue satisfaction, relational connection, harmony, everything being okay, being in control of all environments, making sure that everyone's happy with us. And that can be our water. That will be our well. We can believe in God and but have being right about well, our politics, being right about whatever decision we're trying to make, how we're raising our kids, be our sister. And we can do that. Loved ones, we do do that. And so, so this morning, <laughs> as we're all looking at this, it was fascinating. We were in preaching team. One of, one of, I think it was Ivy asked, she says, she says who, do you put, who do you see yourself as in this story? And I suspect if you're like me, I mean, I had to confess. I was like, oh, I see myself as Jesus in this story. Right? You know, like going to the people who need living water, bringing it to them. And, and it's fascinating to go like, and the woman? I'm not exactly sure how. So that's why I had to work out the last few days. It was like, okay, in what ways? And it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I have other waters. He's saying, come to me. And I'm like, I'll be right there. I'm really thirsty. I'll be right, right back. I've got to go quench myself. I'm feeling overwhelmed, and I'm sure you have some answers, but I've got to go feel better by taking control of this situation. Like when, <laughs> when, when the announcement came out from the, you know, the CDC, it was like, oh boy. 
for those of you who you know run organizations or have businesses or whatever, you know, like there's all kinds of things to figure out right now. But immediately, I had the that kind of that crushing like, uh oh, things could go bad here. This is just a new opportunity, right, for for people to be discouraged, disappointed, confused, or angry. And I was like, okay, who am I going to go to? Where am I going to go? Am I going to try to control it? If I say it all exactly right, will everybody be fine with me? You know that thing? Not that you, I'm sure you don't appreciate that, but that's, that's exactly what happens to me. Like there's a perfect way to do this and everything will go great. And that doesn't happen. So where's the water? Jesus is saying, come to me. I, I have living water. It's within. I'm giving it to you. Will you come back to me? See, what's fascinating about this passage is that he's promising her a, a, a rejuvenation, right? A restoration of the heart, being made new. And that for those of us that put our faith in Christ, like that's what happens. We were giving fountain of living water within us. That's present tense true. But we must continue to be activated in it. Let's go to him, repent to him, come to him and let him stir the fountain within us through his spirit. So it's not intellectual sense. And so I, just my question this morning for you is just what wells, what waters are you finding yourself going to right now? What are you, what are you drinking from? That's, that's not living water. What you go to? And how's it working? Because the scary thing is sometimes it works for a minute. Right? If it didn't work at all, we wouldn't go there. It works sometimes a little. Another way of asking it is, what would Jesus say to you to go get? Hey, go, go grab, kind of like the rich young ruler. Hey, listen, just, just run off, sell all your money, and just come back and follow me. Like, what would he say to you? What would he say to where you're like, oh, sure, I'll be back. Or you'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about. What? I, I don't have a husband, right? What, 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 what would that look like for you? Because that this morning is some of what Jesus is inviting you into. The gospel is free and the gospel is comprehensive. And the gospel is wildly personal. This good news comes to her very personally. This is the longest conversation in the gospels. Jesus talks to this woman longer than he talks to anyone else in any single setting. So it matters. And again, remember, remember who this is. Like his conversation with Nicodemus, way shorter and fundamentally different. The gospel is very personal. Jesus brings a different kind of gospel way to Nicodemus with different language. He's going after different things in him than he does with her. Here with Nicodemus, like he's like straight on hard. I mean, just boom. Here he's patient. He, he weaves through the conversation. He's, he's not in a hurry. It tells us a lot about what it means to be gospel-telling people, good news people. He's gentle, but he's strong. He says, I see you. I see all of you. So in verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet, which is just the best line in this whole entire, I mean, as far as like comedic effect, this is the best, right? So he's like, hey, 
you have five husbands and the one, and you're, you told the truth. And she, there's like this pause. See, in the scripture, there's not, doesn't say pause, you know, but imagine this pause moment of like, what do I do now? You, you must be a prophet. Let's talk about theology, you know, like let's get you away from the stuff that's really like scary to me, that's painful to me, that I'm embarrassed about, that I'm unsure of. Let's get you far away from that and let's talk about what's the best way to do it. Let's talk about God. I mean, you know, I'm a pastor, so we, I talk about God a decent amount, but like it's amazing to me how as particularly as Christians, we can get so good at hiding from dealing with what Jesus wants to put his finger on by talking about God's stuff. We, we dance around it by using like platitudes, spiritual Christian platitudes. <laughs> and Jesus just, he's kind. This is what's amazing about him. He's, he's so very gentle. He's so personal to her. He goes with her. He does. He, he, he follows her down this road. He doesn't go like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop evading the question. No. He, he goes with her. Gives her dignity. She's trying to get away from him, and he says, I'm coming after you. One commentator says she's trying to get out from underneath the incredible gaze of this man who seems to be seeing right into her heart. Do you, do you know Jesus like that? Where you know he sees you and, and you, just, you start squirming? Maybe that's happened to you this week or this past month where he puts his finger on something and you're like, I don't want to deal. Not with that, not right now. He's patient. He's kind. He's, he's coming after you. It says at the beginning of, in verse 4, it says, Jesus, he said that he had to go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. No one has to go through Samaria. He went through Samaria to meet her. He's coming after her. He's coming after you. Will you let him? And here's the amazing news. If you're not ready to let him today, like, he's not done with you. Oh, he wants you today. He's not done with you. He'll go with you. And he'll ask you in a different way, on a different day, at a different time, through different circumstances. Because he's kind and he's truthful. It's amazing that Jesus is just, he's unoffendable, which is something I love about Jesus. Especially we've been reading through the Gospels now and we're, you know, into John. It just, like he's just, you can't offend him. He doesn't get taken down the rabbit trail. She brings up this hot topic, this like super controversial thing, like, well, let's talk about theology. We worship here, you worship there. Like, who's right? We think we're right. I mean, it's something really kind of hot topic. If you're a Jew and a Samaritan found on the road together, like, guess what they're going to argue about? Where do you worship? That's pretty much what's going to come up. And Jesus is like, okay, we'll talk about this. He explains to her about worship. And he says, that's actually a whole different thing that's about to happen. The hour is about to come when I'm going to actually undo these things. The relationship with God is going to be through me. But you don't even understand this. This woman does not understand the theology of what Jesus says here. Let's just be crystal clear. She doesn't go away going like, okay, cool. Let me just write this up for my peers. Like, no, no. She doesn't understand spirit and truth. Like, she's having to work that out. People are still working that out. But, but he's moving towards her in the realm. He keeps doing this. He keeps pointing back to him. Back to himself. Always back here. He's unoffendable. And I think what I love about Jesus is that 
Jesus is not uncomfortable in uncomfortable circumstances. Like that dude just seems so comfortable regardless of what's going on. People freaking out, people being cruel or unkind. Woman dragged in front of him, committed adultery, they busted her. He doesn't even blink. She says these things. She, she, she tries to, to move around who she is. He's not uncomfortable with the circumstances. He stays in it. If anything, he sees her attempts to hide as flags for him to continue to pursue her. He sees them as invitation and not as like, oh, something to avoid and stay away from, which is our invitation as, as we love people, as we, as we live in relationship, not just with one another though, yes, um, but, but also as we pursue people in our, in our work context, in our neighborhood. When someone says something that makes you go like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. This is just a little uncomfortable or awkward. That's actually the invitation, in my opinion, by the spirit to go like, oh, let's step in there, see what's happening. Because we've got nothing to lose. Jesus is not uncomfortable. The spirit of God is actually not uncomfortable in us whatsoever to move towards people with the uncomfortable, in the uncomfortable. And Jesus is not in a hurry. This is, again, the longest passage. He, he goes with her. We are in a hurry. Like, I can't tell you, every once in a while, none of you in the room are online, but someone surely, you know, a call will call me and I'll be like in the middle of a spreadsheet. And I'm like, do you know that I'm trying to get something done? You, you know, like the, 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 the nuisance of like, I'm on my way to something. How are you intersecting with me? I mean, we're all on our way to get something done and Jesus is just not in a hurry. And, and, and it's not, not because he doesn't have something to do. He, it says he's weary. He didn't go into the town because he's spent. This woman comes and he engages with her. Jesus is more concerned with what God's up to, with what God is doing, than with what this woman's saying and how it could knock him off. He's grounded in something outside of himself that lets him stay in with her, which is what it looks like for us with the Spirit. And gospel sharing, which is what we see here with Jesus, a gospel sharing moment, a gospel telling moment is deeply personal for her. It's deeply relational and, and personal. And what's great is that this tells us there's not some like magic template, right? I know there were like four spiritual laws and there was the Romans road, you know, back in the day and maybe still, sorry, if it's still a thing. Um, but there's not, there's not a magic formula. If anything, the importance of what Jesus shows us here is that whether you're talking to Nicodemus or we're talking to this woman or talking to your neighbor or to your friend is, is the invitation to be able to look and say, what, in what way do they need to hear about the good news of Jesus? And how is it supposed to come through me? Through me today, in light of what they, where they are, in light of who they are, in light of the circumstances of their life, the season of life that they're in, the background, their temperament, now don't get me wrong, it's not that there's not content to the gospel. There are things that in order to become a Christian that you must believe, you must hold to. But it's not about the content. It's about how are we going to be the kind of people who release the good news of the gospel in truth to people, relationally, not some single way. 
It simply means being able to be in relationship with people, loving people where they are, being engaged in real relationship, and then simultaneously pointing them to Jesus. A woman says to him in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming. This is how Jesus closes his gospel presentation. She says, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus answers her. He said to her, I who speak to you am he. When it comes to being good news people, we have to get to Jesus. We have to. We, we must. He does. I mean, he starts with it and he ends with it, right? Well, if, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you would have asked him. It's all about who. At the end, he goes, do you want to know who you're talking to? I am he. What are the other times in the Gospels that Jesus just outright just declares himself to be the Messiah? There are not many. He does before the Sanhedrin in the end when they finally ask him, are you? And he says, you'll see the Son of Man. And they're like, oh, we don't need to hear anymore. He said it. Peter makes the declaration, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and he doesn't even say you got it. He just says what God has revealed to you is what's true. So that, that's two. But this one, in Samaria, to a woman who couldn't testify in court, be trusted by her community, is just amazing. He always points to himself, loved ones, we, we must point to him. Not, not to your apologetics. I, th I think, I can't tell you. And anytime we talk about evangelism, which by the way, I'm not a good evangelist. I'm, you know, so not, hey, I've got this all figured out and I'm great at it. But like anytime we start talking about what it means to be people who share our, share the story of the gospel, um, almost the exclusive answer that I, that I hear from is, is, hey, listen, I just, I don't, I, I don't know how to answer some of the questions or people bring up stuff and I wouldn't know what to do with it. And, and um, like Jesus gives us a great way. Ask a bunch of questions and talk about Jesus. Point, point to him. Jesus meets us where we are doesn't leave us where we are. And so that's what we're invited to do is to meet people where they are and to invite them, not leave them there, but to invite them towards where he would have them, which is why the gospel lastly sends us. The gospel sends us in its very essence. The gospel is message. It is a telling of the good news. And there's, this woman is amazing. I think she's amazing. You talk about someone that I cannot wait to hang out with in the new heavens and the new earth. Like this woman... Like she's got spunk, she's got like, and, and she was changed. See what happens? Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar, which by the way was the most, was the coolest thing out of this whole study for me was that line right there. She left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people. So she leaves her water jar, like, you know, the old way. The thing she came to make her life work, she leaves it there. And where does she go? To the other town over there where they don't know her? No. She goes to the people who don't want to be around her. Why she's there at noon. She goes to those people who for, I don't know, weeks, months, years, have basically looked at her and been like, you don't belong here. You're an outsider. Get out. You make a mess wherever you go. 
You've destroyed families. Your reputation is terrible. Like, like stay away. Kids, stay away from her. Like, she, she goes to those people. Like, what would have to happen in you to have you go like, I'm just going to like ignore all things and just go to the people who hate me the most, who, oh, who know me, have all my story. And what does she go with? This is, this is what's so awesome. I, I, you know, I know we live like social media now, so we kind of have an idea of what's going on in some people's lives or whatever, but like we don't live in villages, right? Like you live in a neighborhood and like whatever, you know, like four people's lives, that's about it. But, right, but, but we, we don't know, like in villages, everybody knew everybody's business. If you come from a small town, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody knows everything. Did you hear what she did? Yeah, everyone knows, right? Jesus, she goes, and what does she say to them? What is her testimony? First of all, let me tell you about a process. Let me tell you about a philosophy. Let me tell you about a book I read. No, no, no. Let me tell you about a man. And what kind of man is he? He's a man who told me everything about me. Everything about me, which they know what that means. And he's changed me. Could this, in her line, could this be the Christ? Because this is what she imagined in her wildest dreams. Could he be like this? Could, could he be this amazing in light of who I really am? And I'm a mess. I'm a hot mess. No one wants me, and they're rightly so. I'm on guy number six, like I'm Liz Taylor. I mean, like, it's just bad, right? Like the reputation is poor and yet, and yet he would come after me. Like he would choose me. He would, loved ones, like that's the one we get to talk about. That's the one we get to share about. And, and the reason we get to share about it is because it's what he's done for us, for you and for me. And it's vivid in her, right? I mean, this is, a, this is a galvanizing account of a woman who's like, she's on fire and excited. She moves out. So what do we share? What do we share? She shares, hey, this is what he's, he's told me everything about me. And what we share is we share that. We share our lives. We share what is Christ done with me? What is he doing with me? What am I discovering about him? How is, he, how is he intervening in my life? How has he surprised me with grace? How is he convicting me towards becoming more like him? We, we talk about what Jesus is doing in us, what he's done for us, what he's continuing to work on. That's what it means to share the good news because that is the good news that's working itself out in us, which begs the question, is the good news working itself out in us? Because it must, right? It's not, it's not a bucket of, it's not, Jesus doesn't say, hey, it's a bucket of water that sits inside your soul and every once in a while you come and splash it around. It's, it's spring of living water. It's fountain. That's, that's, what, that's what the invitation is. That's what the promise of the Spirit is. That's what he's doing in us, what he's wanting to stir up in us. And we can quench him, the scriptures say, but it's the life of Christ in us that we get to tell. And so this is why drinking from other wells as a believer that aren't the life of Christ dulls us. We miss and we lose the life of Jesus and we find ourselves, well, bored, flat, or disconnected satiated, but not really. And so, what is it? How have you seen God in work in you? Like recently, like right now? 
this week in your marriage, in, in your job? What, what are you repenting? What's he have his finger on that you can be like, doggone it, he loves me. Sometimes I wish he didn't love me quite so much, but my goodness, he is after me. Because that's what we get to tell. That's the good news. The gospel sends us. So is this free, comprehensive, personal gospel active in, a, in us in a way that is spilling over? I think that's the question this passage begs. Is this gospel alive and spilling over in us? And if not, why not? Not because, boy, if you don't figure it out, man, are you in trouble? No, because the same Jesus that patiently walked with this woman will walk with you. He's not unkind. Jesus is not a bully. The Holy Spirit's not a bully. He'll tell you the truth, and the truth is going to be hard. He'll tell you what's beautiful, and that can be delightful, almost scary at times. But he's kind. Pray that we would let him more and more, that we would have so much good news to tell that we just couldn't help it. It kind of rolls out, like, how was your weekend? It was awesome, Jesus. You know, like, it just kind of, it's what happens. I want that for me more and more. Late this morning, I was praying that for us as a people. They would just begin to spill over. That's the imagery Jesus uses. I'm going to go ahead and believe him. I hope you do too. Which leads us to this, to this table. At this point, still has nothing on it. But are the cups in, on your seats? That this moment where we come each week and we're reminded of what actually has unfolded. And if you have no other message, no other good news to tell, this is the center of the good news. And that is that there was one who on the cross said, I thirst. The one who was, as we read, the fountain of living water was parched and not just physically, but like eternally parched from the joy and delight of his father that he no longer had because in order for us to experience living water, he had to be thirsty and destroyed. That's, that's the remembrance we have. That's the one who is patient with you. He's done this for you so that you would have living water in you. Loved ones, today, if you listen carefully, you'll hear running water in your soul if you know Jesus. Like, let us listen to it. Let us delight in it. Let us share it with one another and with others in a way that makes this meal something we get to invite other people into. And when we do, hopefully we'll get to hear something like Isaiah 55. So listen to this as you prepare to, to take the elements. Jesus says, the Lord says, God the Father says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price free. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Loved ones, there is no better meal than the one you're about to take. And I know it's bad tasting juice on a bad cracker. I understand. But this is like 
way more significant. This is the best thing you're going to do today is to be remembering this by taking in the body and blood of Christ. So let us receive him. Let us, in a sense, take that in to the praise of his name. Let's pray. Father, through your spirit, you tell us that um, like it's better that you're not here. And there's times where I have a hard time with that. I'm thinking if you could be here and you could tell us this story exactly the way it happened and we could see in your eyes that you love us in this way and that you're pursuing us in this way and not just 